Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're uh, about to start a new series uh, today in uh, the New Testament letter of 2 Timothy. So please do turn to that. It's on page one one. Nine five, near the back of the Bible, page 1195, a letter of 2 Timothy, and we're going to be uh, reading the whole of chapter 1, and uh, Kate is going to come and read that for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Wonderful. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, do keep that open. Uh, I'm going to pray, and, um, and we're going to spend some time looking at that, this wonderful, wonderful chapter. Let, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And as the book of 2 Timothy tells us, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness. So, Lord, please speak to us now by your spirit. Please, would you teach us? When necessary, would you rebuke us and correct us? Would you train us in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for all that you have for us to do? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, there are some handouts at the end of the rows, and I wonder if those sitting there might pick them up and pass them along, because there's some pictures on there, also coming up on the screen. And uh, look at the screen pictures, don't look at your handout just now, because uh, what I want you to do is to tell me what do these four pictures have in common? What connects these pictures together? Just have a little look at them. See if you can work out the link between those four pictures. What do you reckon? Can anyone work this out? Or read off the handout? You can see it is to do with succession, isn't it? It's to do with succession. There is succession. I don't know if you've come across the very popular uh, TV series. No spoilers here, but it's all about uh, how a media company, how it's being handed on. Uh, who's going to lead uh, the media company following um, uh, the aging boss? Uh, there's a relay race, handing on the baton of the race from one person to another. Uh, bottom right-hand corner, that is the removal vans at number 10 Downing Street, that famous site as a prime minister changes uh, from one person to another. And then, of course, the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace. Uh, it's all about succession, passing on responsibility, the changing of the guard. And uh, that is really what 2 Timothy is about. 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul's final letter. Uh, he is in prison in Rome. Uh, it's probably somewhere in the middle of the 60s AD, uh, after the book of Acts, after the events that the book of Acts uh, speaks of, um, uh, Paul is back in prison in Rome. And what is striking here, he knows he is about to die. Uh, the letter is really clear that he knows his life is about to come to an end. And here he is writing to his protege, Timothy. And uh, he is writing really a very personal letter to him. So we see this in verse 1. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. These two people, they had had a long history together, going back uh, 15 years or so. Uh, you can read in, in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Timothy first came to meet one another. And their relationship had been very close. Uh, Paul describes them as a dear son. Timothy's now the leader of the church in Ephesus. And this is a time where Paul wants to hand the baton on to Timothy and other people like him. It's a moment of succession, but succession in a good way, not succession in the TV series sort of way. And so this letter actually has lots to say to church leaders. Timothy was a church leader. This has lots to say to church leaders, to vicars, uh, to preachers, to teachers. Uh, it has lots to say to me. But it also has lots to say to all of us as a church. This was an open letter. And it's striking, if you look right at the end of the, the, the letter, uh, the last verse, Paul signs off saying, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. That you there is plural. In other words, this is not just a personal letter to Timothy. This is a letter for the whole church. And we're going to be seeing how that's the case for us. Uh, on the handout, you'll see that there are four headings that we've got. 
uh, the charge, the capital, the cost, and the crown. And we're going to be thinking about each of those in turn. The first thing I want to take us to is the charge, the charge that this aging apostle who is handing the baton on to Timothy, this is what he says to him. He says this, verse 13. This is really the big message of the letter. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The charge is this. Guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. Guard the good deposit. Actually, that word good literally means beautiful. Guard the beautiful deposit. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying to Timothy, look, as I die, as I leave my ministry and hand it on to you and others like you uh, to be heralds and teachers of it, uh, verse 11, Paul speaks about himself being a herald, an apostle and a teacher. The apostle bit he doesn't hand on, but the herald and teacher bit he does. And as he hands that on, he says this, guard the beautiful gospel. Don't lose it. Don't change it. Don't damage it. Look after it. Care for it. Steward it. Guard it. I mean, just think of the care with which one takes when you look after something really valuable. The crown jewels, for example. Uh, Here's a picture of uh, the St. Edward's crown uh, that was put on King Charles when he was crowned. Uh, incredibly heavy, solid gold, 444 precious stones, worth apparently an estimated 45 million pounds, but actually priceless. Uh, Think of all the crown jewels. Uh, They're apparently worth three to five billion, but again, with their history and their historic value, priceless. What sort of security do you think you put it put onto the crown jewels? Do you just sort of leave them lying around? Do you reckon they were just sort of left out on the high altar of Westminster Abbey overnight and just sort of anyone could come in and out? You put serious security. Where do you keep the crown jewels? You put it in the Tower of London. Since 1660, they've been in the Tower of London under armed guards. And when you move them around, huge security, huge security going on when they were moved around for the coronation. Operation Tower of London, it was originally called. And uh, huge security, because you want to protect what is valuable. You take huge care over it. Well, the gospel is of infinitely greater value. And the Apostle Paul says, we've got a job to do. We've got a job as church leaders. I've got a job to do. We've got a job as a whole church to do. And that is to steward, to protect, to guard it in our generation. And it's striking, this is, this is our time. There was a time when it was the Apostle Paul's role. He handed it on sometime in the 60 AD, ADs, um, 60s AD, uh, to Timothy and others. But of course, their time has come and has gone. In fact, 1,960 years or so has gone since that time. And if you think about generation, what's a generation between 20 and 30 years? Say 25 years for a generation. I've calculated that is 78 generations 
have come and gone since the time of the Apostle Paul. That's a thought, isn't it? The baton being handed on 78 times. And now it's with us. It's our turn. And so we have a charge to guard this beautiful gospel. Now that's a big responsibility that we have. So we need some really significant help, some big help. And that brings us on to the second point, the capital that we have. A much better word for this would have been resources, but obviously resources don't begin with C. So think of it in terms of capital, resources. And it is striking that Paul spends the first few verses of this letter, verses 1 to 7, really looking at the resources that Timothy has at his disposal. Uh, He reminds him of them all. Uh, Nothing new to Timothy. He knew this stuff, but he needed to be reminded of this, given what he was about to say to Timothy, this charge he was about to give him. And let me just walk us through these resources that Timothy was given. The first resource he was given is God's grace. God's grace. Uh, Verse 2, the second half of verse 2. The Apostle Paul says this, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy's task, it was not going to be an easy one. He would make mistakes, no doubt. He would be under serious stress. He would be needing strengthening. He would feel very weak at times. And so what an encouragement to be reminded that the blessings of this beautiful gospel are not just for others, but they're for him as well. This grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, his mercy, his undeserved forgiveness of us, the peace that comes from knowing Jesus. Timothy was going to need all those. That's the first one, God's grace. Second, we see here that he had a mentor who cared for him, a mentor who cared for him. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Just a little insight here into the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. Paul poured out so much into Timothy. He served him. He prayed for him. He cared for him. He wanted the best for him great example of mentoring. That's the second, a mentor who cared. Third, Timothy had a heritage of faith. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. I love this. I love the way Paul refers to this. It seems that Paul's father, as Timothy's father, sorry, was not a believer. But he did have the privilege of a grandmother, Lois, and a mother, Eunice, who were. And you could imagine them right from Timothy's earliest years, grounding him in the scriptures, teaching him, praying for him, giving a godly example to him. And it's often the case, isn't it, that God does work through families. Of course, there are no guarantees that the children of believers will live out their faith. Each generation has to take responsibility on for themselves. 
But if you are a parent here, if you're a grandparent here, if you're an uncle, if you're an aunt, uh, if you're involved in teaching our young here at St. Michael's, if you're part of the youth and children's team, never underestimate the influence that you can have, that you will have on the young. And also worth saying, if you're from a Christian home, often people brought up in a Christian home, they feel, oh, my testimony is so dull. I've always been a Christian. I haven't got one of those sort of dramatic conversion testimonies to sort of give. Now, those are wonderful testimonies to hear. But never underestimate the privilege it is to have been brought up in a Christian home. Never underestimate the resource that is to have been brought up from your earliest years. Learning the scriptures, hearing about God's grace, having that poured out into you, being prayed for, seeing an example of godly living. That is an amazing resource that Timothy has here, a a heritage of faith. Fourth, he has a gift from God. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, this gift is not actually specifically named, but given the context of the letter, it seems pretty reasonable to suppose that the gift that Timothy had was one of preaching and of teaching and of leadership. And what is striking, I think, here is that Paul says you've got this gift, this gift from God, but you need to do something with it. You need to nurture it, not sort of simply passively hold it, You need to fan it into flame. You can think of the image. It's a a striking illustration, isn't it, of, I don't know, think of a sort of country cottage and and an open fire and uh, the flame is flickering. Unattended, it will just die. So what do you do? You gently fan fan it into flame. Gently breathe on it and whoosh, it goes up. That is what we're to do with the gifts. Whatever gifts, we've all been given gifts by God. We're to fan it, fan them into flame. Next, most significantly, Timothy is given the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can see that actually down at verse 14 in that charge. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. God himself Timothy doesn't guard on his own. He doesn't guard with bare hands. But he guards with the great guardian beside him, alongside him. Now, what does that look like? I think verse 7 tells us a little bit about what that looks like in practice. We read this in verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. To guard timidly is not hugely effective. Uh, I was struck this week seeing, uh, I don't know if you picked up, there was a European final between Roma and Seville. And uh, there was amazing pictures of uh, all these fans arriving in the stadium two at a time, going through the turnstiles two at a time. Uh, Just one ticket, two going through. But what was so striking was there was the steward. There was the guard right there. And clearly, absolutely terrified, not wanting to do anything about it. Uh, Timid guarding doesn't do much good. 
But what is good here for Timothy is that the spirit God gives is not one of timidity, but one of power and love and self-control. And the spirit gives, will give Timothy the strength he needs so that he's not a doormat. But I love the way it's qualified by the other things the Spirit gives, by love and self-control, self-restraint. And then love, care, compassion. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Strength on its own can be a dangerous thing, but strength with love and with self-control, that is a wonderful combination. And then finally, the final resource Timothy is given is the apostolic teaching. Uh, Verse 13 again, to go back to there. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Uh, Timothy had the extraordinary privilege of having the apostle himself. Paul, alongside Jesus' 12 disciples, they were given special authority. Special authority to carry and establish the gospel with the first generation of the church. And the New Testament is their witness. So if you take all those things together, Timothy, he had amazing resources with him. Amazing capital as he has to go about this task, this charge of guarding the gospel. And what is wonderful is so much of what was true for Timothy is true for us too. We need to know this. For us, it is true for us that we also have the resources of the gospel. We have God's grace and mercy and peace new every morning. We have fathers and mothers in faith. For many of us, that is literally the case. We've had the privilege of growing up in Christian households. Uh, But that's not the case for all of us. And yet what is the case for all of us is that by being a part of a church, a church family, we all have spiritual fathers and mothers. We all have examples to look up to. We also have the privilege of receiving gifts from God. Different gifts we all have as a church. He gives different gifts to every member of the church, and yet, uh, wonderfully, they are given for one another, and we're to nurture them, not just passively hold them, to fan them into flame. If we're a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit with us, the Spirit that gives us strength and love and self-control. And of course, we do have the apostolic wisdom, apostolic witness. We might not have Paul himself right here, but we have the words of the apostles and their testimony in the Bible. So Timothy's given a big charge. We're given a big charge, but we have serious capital, serious resources for it. And that is especially important when we consider the cost. Come on to the third heading, the cost. Uh, Paul is very clear about the cost that guarding the gospel is going to bring with it. Uh, Just to step back a little bit, uh, I guess two big fears that Timothy would have had at this time would have been shame 
and suffering. Uh, I'm sure we can relate uh, to that. Uh, We can relate to the fear of shame and the fear of suffering. Uh, To be ashamed, that can be the sort of stuff of nightmares. I don't know if you ever have those nightmares where you sort of, something goes through your mind and it's basically a scenario where you are left completely ashamed and completely exposed. Maybe, I don't know, it could be a silly one, just turning up to work in pyjamas or something like that. And uh, you just sort of have this nightmare because we don't like to be ashamed. Do you know, have you, maybe you've had this actual experience of sort of being in the dining hall at school or at university or cantina at work and uh, you're the one who drops the plate on the floor and it all smashes and everyone looks at you and you just feel the shame of that. Uh, it is a nightmare to be ashamed. I guess we've been seeing it in the news this past week, actually, uh, to be publicly shamed, as has been the experience of Philip Schofield over these past few days, is a nightmare. It is horrible. So it's understandable in many ways that we might fear shame. Our culture also fears suffering in so many ways. In fact, our culture goes to huge lengths to try to avoid suffering. Uh, We want comfort. We want ease in our lives. Uh, It was true back then as much as it's true today. And so when you think about the life of Timothy, I'm sure we can empathize with him if he was fearful of shame and fearful of suffering. It would have been a big temptation for him to have run a million miles away from those two things. Uh, To run away from the shame of being associated with the Apostle Paul. Bear in mind at this time, Paul is in prison. He's a nobody. Uh, There's no worldly kudos to be associated with him. Uh, That lay with the emperor. That lay with power. That lay with wealth and status. It had been very easy for Timothy to have sort of distanced himself at this point from the Apostle Paul who lay in prison in disgrace. He could have put out a tweet, put out a statement saying that I regret my past association with Paul. I've now cut off all relations with him. He could have done something like that, couldn't he? And we know he could have done something like that because others did. That is what's going on in verse 15. We have the example of those who abandoned uh, the Apostle Paul And the gospel, verse 15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. There are two people who, um, and and in fact, many more than two people. I've I've put it on the uh, handout, a map of around Ephesus, the the province of Asia, where loads of people had uh, come to Christ. And yet so many seemed to be abandoning what was going on abandoning the gospel message that Paul gave. It could have been very easy for Timothy to have done the same. Wonderfully and encouragingly, we also have the example of one particular person who didn't do that. Uh, Onesiphorus, one of the Bible's great heroes, unsung heroes. Uh, Verse 16, what did he get up to? Well, may the Lord, Paul writes, show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant 
that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Onesiphorus, he gives a great example of someone who was not ashamed. He searched out Paul. He was willing to be associated with him. He gave him practical help. Prisoners in those days really needed the practical help of friends and family, and Onesiphorus gave that. It's actually a wonderful example he gives of the blessing of practical help and the power of that. So I guess it's with with all that in mind that Paul says to Timothy uh, in verse 8, he says this, For you, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then again, have a look down to verse 12. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. But rather, come alongside me. Be prepared, Timothy, to suffer with me. Why? Verse 12, I know whom I have believed. It's a lovely touch in here, in a passage where we are called to guard the gospel, to know that first, God guards us. He is able to guard us. He is able to guard what we have entrusted to him, whereas we entrust our lives to him. He is able to guard. And that is what Paul reminds Timothy. And it is a really helpful reminder for us too, because there is a cost to being a Christian. When we're fearful of the shame that we might feel for being a Christian, for believing in Jesus Christ, in trusting in his word, when we're tempted to distance ourselves from him, when it's getting too uncomfortable, maybe when we're facing persecution or ridicule, or suffering in some way or another. That could be severe, and many Christians across the world we know are suffering severely at this time. It could be less severe, but still very real. Maybe being teased, maybe being looked down upon, maybe being seen as slightly threatening, slightly dangerous. And that stuff hurts. When we are tempted to avoid that, know this. Know who God is. His hands are the safest hands to be in. He has us. He will save us. He can be trusted to guard us. Which brings us finally and briefly to to the crown, the final C, the crown. It is worth bearing the cost because the value of the crown is so much more. I really like this quote from N.T. Wright that I read this week on this passage. You'll see it on, on, the, on the handout. He said this, When you realize what the Christian gospel is all about, then your entire world of values is turned upside down. 
You'll be ashamed of some of the things you were formerly proud of and proud of some of the things which previously would have made you ashamed. The gospel changes everything. It turns everything upside down. And so it's so important that we see what the gospel is all about, why the gospel is so beautiful, why it's worth guarding. And actually, just here in verses 9 and 10, Paul just gives us a glimpse of it. He just shines a light on what the gospel is all about. Let's just have a look at verse 9. He says this, He has saved us. It's about salvation, the gospel. He has saved us and called us to a holy life to live rightly for him. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is not by good works. It's all by grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That is wonderful to be reminded of. This grace is secure. It goes all the way back to the beginning of history, before the time of history, greater than any temporary storm we might face. But, verse 10, it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This salvation, this grace, it's been made known now in Jesus Christ. And here's the climax of it. Jesus Christ, he has destroyed death. And he brings life forever. The gospel is all about life. Don't you love life? We love life. We want life. It's the most precious of things. And it is striking here that Paul, on the verge of his death, is particularly sharply focused on this. Verse 1 points us to that, doesn't it? Paul, an apostle, he described himself in Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. The reason this all matters so much is that this is literally a matter of life or death. The gospel brings life forever. You know, nothing else does that. No philosophy no worldview, no education system, no charity, no cause, no business, no government, no profession offers that. Only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we lose the gospel, that is the way to death. We lose the most precious of things. And so when churches and when church leaders... And when denominations, when they change or innovate or take away from or add to the gospel, it's like giving up the crown jewels. It is denying life. It is incredibly serious. Which is why Paul calls us in our generation to guard it. It's a powerful thing to hear last words. And uh, often they can be quite revealing. Uh, Last words or those attributed to people can be 
um, quite revealing about them. So uh, one of my favorite quotes on last words is Oscar Wilde. You might have come across it. Oscar Wilde, uh, in a room that he didn't particularly like, he says, said this, either that wallpaper goes or I do. And uh, you can see that. Oscar Wilde, he was about wit. Uh, Winston Churchill, uh, his last words are reported to have been, I'm bored with it all. And that reveals something about Winston Churchill, a person who just lived life to the full. And then he sort of said, right, I'm done with it. I was very struck by um, a tweet from Tim Keller's son, uh, Tim Keller, the, the uh, author and pastor uh, in New York, who died a couple of weeks ago. And uh, very near the end of his death, he, some of his last words were this. He said this, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. Uh, that reveals someone who is full of faith, full of gospel hope. Well, what of the Apostle Paul? As he comes to the end of his life, what does he want us to know? Well, his concern is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that brings life forever. And I'm so excited about this series as we look at 2 Timothy because we're going to be seeing much more about what this means for us today here at St. Michael's, for each one of us in our lives, uh, for us at this time. And here is the big message, the charge, that for us in our time, in this moment, we've got the baton, we have all the resources that we've been thinking about, all those resources that God has given us. And we are called, no matter what the cost, to guard the crown, to guard the beautiful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to know him and to put our trust in him. Well, let's take a moment of quiet just to allow that to sink in. Uh, the band, uh, you might like to come up and... Um, we're going to see in a few moments' time, but let's just take a moment of quiet. And maybe there's one particular thing that has struck you uh, this morning. Just take a moment to bring that before the Lord and ask that by His Spirit He might drive that into our hearts, that He might grow faith in us, that we might know His grace, His mercy, His peace as we look to this gospel of life. Father, we thank you so much for how precious the gospel is, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world to reveal the source of all life, who through his death has brought forgiveness of sins, who through his resurrection has defeated the grave and he calls us to follow him and to put our trust in him so that we might know that forgiveness, that grace, that mercy, so that we might know that life. Lord, help us never to undervalue the gospel. Help us to guard it, to protect it, to know it and to live it.
in Jesus' name, for his honor. Amen.